This episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church and Mission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Welcome back to another episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. I am here with my co-host, John. I am Jalen. John, it's always good to see you. Always good to talk with you. How are you doing? Hey, Jalen, it's good to see you too. I feel like it's been a few weeks since we've recorded, um, but I think this is pretty normal as we are getting ready to wind down and take a break for the summer because we have been ahead uh, in our recordings and so we've been able to take some more breaks. Um, But I feel like a lot has happened since the last time we hung out. But for me, one of the big things is I just came back from a trip to um, Redding and I was up in Redding, California. We were uh, my church, uh, the pastors at my church were attending our district conference. So in our denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, um, every church is a part of a district. And <clears throat> each year, your district will gather all the pastors together. Um, and for a time of encouragement, um, if you need to make decisions for the district, sometimes like we're voting in a new district superintendent, which is actually what we did this most recent conference. And so um, I was I spent about four days in writing last week, um, and it was really enjoyable. This was my first time attending district conference with this district, having now moved you know to San Jose and and the Central Pacific District of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, prior to this, I think all of our conferences were like online, so this was my chance to finally meet people in person, uh, get to know some of the other pastors in the district. So it was a lot of fun. I had a really good time. Yeah, that's good. I feel like you're. That that's something that you love doing is like networking with other pastors and mm-hmm. talking with other pastors and seeing them in person. So I'm glad you got to do that. That's really cool. Yeah, I did get to hand out a few stickers for our podcast and uh, reference it, you know, a few times and just share it as a resource with people. So it was a, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, nice to kind of have a break too from kind of the weekly, you know, ministry responsibilities and spend some time in a different city. So how about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, you know, speaking of giving out stickers, we have probably a few left. So if people really want them, we can send them to to people. Uh, there's different ways that people can contact us, um, and we'll I think we have that in our in our social media stuff. Um, but yeah, I was at a conference two weeks ago, and I got a chance to hand out some stickers there. Uh, it was um, I've shared about this before, but our church is part of the Thriving Immigrant Churches Initiative that Trinity has been doing, and. Uh, so we went out to Virginia for two and a half days. Our team is made up of myself, our, uh, our Mandarin pastor, uh, a Mandarin elder, uh, a Mandarin deaconess, and then an English congregation elder. And so it's a team of five and we got to go hang out, uh, learn about just the, the importance of interdependence as an immigrant church, right? How first gen and second gen congregations can really work together and thrive and not just for the sake of unity, but ultimately for this, for the growth of God's kingdom, for, for the, uh, for the advancing of the gospel. 
And so it was so exciting for us to be there. And not only that, but for us just to hang out, to fellowship together. Hmm. And, and I shared with, I shared with you, John, but uh, you know, at the end of the conference, we had a few hours to kill before our flight back to Chicago. And so we decided, Hey, let's go to the Lincoln Memorial. Let's hang out at the national mall and spend some time there. And just for the, the five of us who outside of ministry context, don't really hang out at all. This was so important and helpful for just our, our leadership team from our church to, uh, to fellowship and, and to be together, to learn about one another and hear different stories about, you know, our lives. And so really thankful for that, really grateful for that opportunity. And, you know, we're coming back from that conference, I think, filled with a lot of ideas and things that we want to kind of present to our congregations so that we can, you know, grow in this concept of interdependence and grow in, in doing the, the gospel mission together. So we're super excited about that. So yeah, I'm glad we got to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. I know you mentioned uh, on a previous episode that this was your first time traveling since the pandemic started. So did everything go smoothly? No hiccups or anything? Was it exactly as you remembered it? I won't mention who it was, but one person in our team, uh, they got through the TSA line and could not find their phone. Oh. And so for, you know, for I don't know how long they were just looking for their phone. They went through the line again. They had, uh, you know, they were checking through the bins and stuff to see if they left it in there. And so they actually ended up asking the TSA officer to rescan their bag to see if they could find the phone. And so somehow the phone had fallen to the very bottom of their bag. And, um, you know, it, it was it was stressful for, you know, for those people at that time. Uh, I was actually not there, um, but I was told this while we were kind of sitting in the plane. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. Mm, so fun times yeah. all around, I'm sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. very cool. Well, uh, tonight I'm excited for uh, our, our guest. You know, this is, this is going to be our last guest at, for um, this season of the podcast. We'll be taking a break for the summer. And so I'm really excited to just wrap it up um, with Dr. Frank Chan. Frank is a professor of Bible at Naya College and Alliance Theological Seminary. And he and I actually met um, a few years ago, I think probably at this point, it was probably four years ago at a conference in Portland. That's right. And so um, it's just been cool to be connected to you, Frank. And um, we're really glad that you're on the podcast with us. We're excited to, yeah, just to hear from you and and, and glean some wisdom from your experience in, in training, um, you know, pastors and people who are going into full-time ministry. So welcome. Well, I'm really glad that you guys have had me. Uh, I'm very curious about what you guys do, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, I love the idea of Chinese church pastors and Chinese church workers somehow dialoguing, connecting with each other, talking about common problems and common interests. Uh, I think that's just a great thing. So I'm glad you guys started this. Yeah. And Frank, thanks for joining us. You know, one of the things that we do want to do on this podcast is be able to highlight the stories of different Chinese Americans in the church. And, you know, you have a great story. And so I I was wondering if you could share with us just your, your journey, your ministry journey, your calling into ministry, what that looked like and how God led you to where you are now. Sure. That's a, that's an easy uh, task. Uh, I grew up at uh, a very, well-known Chinatown church in New York City, Chinese Evangel Mission Church, CEMC. Uh, It was, um, like many other New York Chinatown churches, started by uh, what used to be called 
home missionaries, uh, some from the conservative Baptists, some from the Plymouth Brethren, but they would typically start with English lessons in Chinatown. This is back when Chinatowns were still basically blue collar immigrants. And so they'd start with a Bible study and that would grow to like, a, like they start with English lessons, they grow to a Bible study and then it eventually becomes a church. So this church was uh, in Chinatown, New York City. And uh, at that time, Nyack College, where I work now, would have what they call gospel teams. So Nyack College students would go down into Chinatown, pass out tracts on the streets of Chinatown, but then they'd regather to debrief in a Chinatown church. And my church was the church that Nyack College students would use. One of those uh, Nyack College students who actually was part of the, the gospel team to Chinatown was Lee Hearn. And so he, uh, this is a Caucasian guy from Western Pennsylvania who took a liking to the Chinatown uh, young people and eventually became the pastor of that church. And he stayed for some 35 years. So uh, his presence in that church, and this is back when he actually lived in the church in Chinatown, has been especially formative to a lot of young people like myself. So I count myself among about a dozen different young men who went into the ministry, mainly because of uh, their connection with Lee Hearn. Mm -hmm. So my church is somewhat known for his presence and it's, it's um, kind of fostering of a lot of young ABC guys in ministry. So that's kind of where I came out of. Uh, when I decided to, to try to study Bible, theology, and ministry. I left New York, moved to Chicago, actually, went to Wheaton College and Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So I lived in Chicago for about eight years, uh, got involved with the Chinese Bible Church of Oak Park while I was there, and uh, just made some friends at CCUC and things like that. Uh, after my master's degree at Trinity, I decided to do doctoral work, so I moved to Philadelphia and worked, uh, did a doctorate at the Westminster Theological Seminary, and when I was there, I lived in Philadelphia, Chinatown, and worked in the, the Chinatown Church in Philadelphia, <clears throat> so there's, there was one main Cantonese-speaking congregation, and that's the one I went to. I did the college ministry there for, for four years. And I lived in Chinatown, Philadelphia for a while. So the three cities with which I'm most familiar are New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, all of which have Chinatowns and Chinatown churches. So that's been kind of my, uh, my church world. I then, after graduating uh, from Westminster, got a job teaching biblical studies at Nyack College back in New York. And I grew up in New York, so it was kind of like getting the call to play for the Yankees uh, to come back to the home team. And so when I did that, I knew that my work primarily would be multi-ethnic uh, since the college is a multi-ethnic uh, environment. So at that point, I decided, okay, I should try to go to an Alliance church that is multi-ethnic. And so I've been at the Risen King Alliance Church in New City, which is not far from Nyack College, the old Nyack College in Rockland County. <clears throat> and that's where I still am at. So so my church world now is multi-ethnic, even though uh, when I guess speak and visit churches, it's primarily Chinese churches. Hmm. Yeah, I was just wondering, you know, in as part of your uh, work at at NIAC and at ATS, um, what what are the types of classes that you're teaching typically? 
Well, my degree was in hermeneutics and uh, with a specialization in New Testament. So they had me focus on the, the Bible interpretation classes primarily. So I teach a biblical exegesis class, which is just an advanced hermeneutics class. I teach a course in the Gospel of John, which I'm doing this summer. I teach a course in biblical theology, which is Bible themes crossing from Old Testament into New. So, uh, so it's, it leans a little bit towards the New Testament, but it's basically all biblical interpretation. So I, uh, I actually help oversee some of their master's programs in biblical interpretations. There's an MA in biblical studies, which I help oversee. And uh, there's an MA in biblical literature, which is a little more language based. And I help oversee that also. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm just curious how in your work and in your yeah, in your career as a professor, like what are some of the ways that you feel like you are making an impact in Chinese heritage churches? Nothing direct. I would say we do uh, draw Chinese Americans or people from Chinese immigrant churches. Uh, they are our students among our students. I also help out in the doctoral program. We have a number of uh, people from bicultural churches in our doctoral program. So there's some interaction that I have <clears throat> with the students and we try at my college to make everything as hands-on and as practical as possible. So I'm teaching biblical interpretation for the sake of preaching or biblical interpretation for the sake of doing your Bible studies or for the sake of having a strong devotional life. So everything is practically oriented. So I'm constantly dialoguing with the students about um, their congregations, the type of people in their congregations, the type of messages they're trying to put together. And so that's, that's the main way. It's really just this uh, constant uh, conversation that you have with the church life of the students. So I'm always trying to find out, okay, are you like primarily an urban setting? Is it mainly immigrants that you're working with? So I'm always trying to, to tailor the teaching to that. Uh, I did mention that on the side, I do a lot of side visits to I preach at Chinese churches. So this past Sunday, I was at a Chinese church way up in the northern suburbs in Lagrange, New York. And all these people, and uh, for those of you who are from New York, you know that a lot of high tech companies were upstate, like IBM was up the Hudson River and uh, the Hudson River Valley. So a lot of the people at this church are former IBM employees, so high tech workers. Uh, but you'd be surprised. Uh, there's Chinese people everywhere, even in the most remote suburbs. And if you go out into the country, that places that are semi-rural, there's still China, Chinese restaurants. So this church in Lagrange has about a third of these high-tech workers, and about a third are these restaurant workers. So you have blue-collar and white-collar together at this at this one church. Uh, so they're they're trying their best to reach both. Um, the educated and the non-educated, let's put it that way. And that's, that's, uh, that's the church that I went to on Sunday. This coming Sunday, I'll be, at another I'll be at a Chinatown church right in the heart of Chinatown. And that's a changing place too. Uh, when I was growing up, the Chinatown that I knew was primarily blue collar. It's now a mixture. So primarily Cantonese speaking blue collar. Now it's Mandarin and Chinese, Mandarin and Cantonese, and uh, blue collar and white collar. 
So that's kind of my side gigs in, a, in addition to the, the teaching. So much of <clears throat> what I pick up on the Chinese church now is from these visits. Hmm. Just kind of as an observation, a lot of these Chinese churches that I visit have struggling English congregations. Uh, so they, it's hard to get traction or momentum going because they suffer the same problem of attrition. So their young people grow up in the church and very faithful at attending church. But when they get to college, uh, generally they don't come back. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll either leave the church altogether or join a non-Chinese church. So it's hard to retain young people. So they settle down, have families and become kind of the strength of an English congregation. So as a result, if I'm preaching at an English congregation service, it's usually high school and down. Mm. So um, on occasion, there's children. Like I, I preach at one service where there's little kids with their teddy bears in the front row. Uh, but that's just, that's just life in the Chinese church. It's just hard to retain uh, English-speaking members once they get past a certain age. So I stay in touch with churches that are struggling in that sense. And sometimes I try to advise them on how to help their, their English congregations to mature. Yeah, I feel like there's probably a whole lot that we could get into with that. And I'm wondering what is maybe your, just with that observation, what is your advice to those churches? And then also maybe just, look, just looking down the line, what, what do you think is sort of the trajectory for these English congregations? Well, um, there's no magic bullet. There's no uh, magic formula to help retain your young people. Except this, uh, I, I would say at some point they all have to decide if they want to stay in the church of their parents or, or find a church that better suits them or probably better expresses what they're seeking. And I have always told young people, um, it's not a good idea to, to stay in this church just because your parents are here. It's not a good idea to stay here just because you want to find a mate. It's not a good idea to, to stay here just because there's good lunches after service. Uh, if you're going to stay here, you should stay because you have some sense of mission to reaching Chinese people. So missional mentalities are, I think, <clears throat> the best way to go. So fostering that and uh, nurturing that, I think, is, is the main way to convince someone, this is why I'm still here, because I have a heart for Chinese people and these immigrant ethnic churches, at least for now, seem to be one of the best ways to reach them. So I've always kind of had a heart for Chinese people. And I can't speak the language, but uh, I've always prayed for Chinese people. I've always felt the most burdened for their, their lostness. And so I grew up with that. And that's the reason why I stuck out the Chinese church. And it's for that reason that I haven't totally left the Chinese church. I'm not attending one now, but most of my ministry interest is in these ethnic churches. And again, looking inward, I'd say it's mainly because I have this sense of mission to that people group. Mm. So that's, that, in my opinion, is probably the most reliable thing to, to try to nurture if you want to try to retain people. But I'm just going to say Chinese churches have never been that great at being missional. Uh, so they tend to be these insulated, inward-looking, uh, community-based hmm. clubs almost. And um, 
the idea of looking out and reaching the lost has not been a strong suit in the Chinese church. So I would say if we had to kind of turn something around, if we turn that around, I think the retention issue would be would it alleviate itself that that we'd actually have people staying because they believe in the cause. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I think there are times when I look at at who we are at the Chinese Heritage Church, um, and you know, I think in an unhealthy way, it can become a very insular, insulated community, right? Yes. Inward focused, and yeah. that's usually when I feel like that's when a church is at an unhealthy place. But on on the other side of that, um, in a healthy place, churches like that actually form very deep community with one another, right? Like that family emphasis or familial feel to um, to the to the church, something that both Jalen and I were um, very acquainted with growing up in the Chinese church. And so I I just I think I'm curious if if you've come across any um, just in your experience or your observation with some of these churches, you know, is there a point where or I guess I guess what I'm trying to ask is like how do you um, how do you make sure that the church really pursues that sort of authentic deep community in a healthy way that doesn't then become like you've just circled the wagons and you're you know you're just focused inward entirely. I would say it's easy to mistake the strong bonds that that uh, people in a Chinese church or a bicultural Chinese church would feel for one another. I tell people, there's lots of people at my church in New York City that I haven't seen in 20 years. But if I were to have a heart attack and die tomorrow, they'd be at my funeral. I mean, like it's, it's that much of a commitment. Uh, these are people who will be my friends for life. Hmm. If I'm in any sort of trouble, they're there for me. Uh, so, it's easy to think that, ooh, that's Christian fellowship or that's authentic Christian community. It is not necessarily. It could just be a real strong social bond. And so every immigrant group will have something like that. It doesn't have to be Chinese people, but any immigrant group will have a cohesiveness and a closeness to it that feels like, oh, this must be the Holy Spirit. It's easy to mistake that. So. Uh, the first thing I have to say is that they're not the same thing. I would say that if you had a bunch of people who were that close, who had a sensitivity to um, their soul needs, soul, S-O-U-L, soul needs, uh, then they'd be able to tell if that, uh, that closeness with these other people is actually feeding the deep longings of the soul in a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. So we all have kind of a deep longing for friends. We have a deep longing for intimacy, but that's a little bit different from one's deep longing for the things of God. And so you really do need uh, people to go deep, people to understand the, the, the deep longings of their souls. And so Chinese people, generally speaking, are not that introspective or they feel that the intellect is more important than the emotions. And so they give a lot of attention to the intellect. They don't give a lot of attention to the emotions, but I would say it's in the emotions that people's, I think, uh, deep awareness of their connection with God, that's where that resides. And so you just have to develop mature Christians who have a soul sensitivity to know, okay, what I'm sensing, what I'm 
enjoying with this fellowship with this group of people if it's authentic christian fellowship or not so you have to just train people who are uh just aware of themselves and can tell what parts of their hearts are being met and satisfied i want to go back to something that you were talking about earlier in sharing your journey i was impressed that you know whether it was in new york or in chicago or in philadelphia you somehow connected back to a Chinese heritage church, uh, you no, know, as a, true, yeah. right. As a student, as a seminary student. And I'm wondering what are some ways that Chinese heritage churches can serve and support and help equip seminary students now, like maybe even reflecting on your own experience, what are some of the ways that the, the Chinese churches that you were a part of in Chicago, in Philadelphia, how, how did those churches support you as you were kind of going through seminary? Well, uh, I didn't have to do too much for any of the churches that I went to. So in Chicago, uh, you know, I, that's basically, that was my style. I just, I would look for Chinese churches to attend. Same thing in Philadelphia. I'd look for Chinese churches to attend. So I found them pretty easily. But once I was there, they took an interest in me. All right. So like I said, there's always like a shortage or it feels like there's a shortage of people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and do the youth ministry or the children's ministry, or to even fill in the pulpit or something like that. So uh, once it was kind of public knowledge that I was a seminary student, ooh, okay, uh, let's see if we can uh, make some good relations with this guy. So they sought me out uh, and uh, I was perfectly happy to connect. You know, I was looking for experience and so uh, it was, to some degree, their own need, and you might even say a selfish need for workers, but they uh, very quickly plugged me in and I was eager to be plugged in. Now I can't speak for every seminary student, not every seminary student wants to be recruited in that way, but I was happy to do that. I was, I was eager to learn. Uh, I was hungry for experience, all those things. So that was kind of a nice, equilibrium. They were looking for workers. I was looking for work. That's one aspect of how I benefited. Uh, both the church in Chicago and the church in Philly uh, knew that I was a starving seminary student. And so they would actively inquire, hey, how can we help you out financially? And so um, maybe we can pay you like a stipend or something. <clears throat> I was more concerned about paying for tuition at Trinity and paying for tuition at Westminster. So the conversation quickly gravitated towards tuition payments. And so um, the nice kind of uh, synergy between my working for the church and their taking care of me was they said, we'll, we'll help cover your costs at the seminaries. And so, um, so just speaking, speaking from personal experience, that was especially meaningful to me. Like that's, when I was saying, thanks, thank the Lord so much for providing for my needs. Uh, so if it helps, uh, if I'm talking to anybody who's on church boards that have seminaries at their church, I would say be proactive at finding out what the needs are of your seminary students. Uh, if, if they're looking for experience, try to plug them into something that they want to do, not just something that you need to have done. Uh, so try to try to work around their needs and then ask, especially, okay, are you paying your, can you make your car payments? Um, 
Are you eating just spaghetti in a pot every night? You know, what can we do to help? And so that's part of just feeling loved and cared and supported. But um, there aren't a lot of Chinese seminary students around. So when I was at Trinity, uh, the five of us got together and we'd pray as part of a, a little prayer group. But you could count the number of Chinese guys, American-born Chinese guys on one hand. It's a huge seminary, but there were, just weren't a lot of us who were going. Hmm. Uh, so um, if you're in a city on a church board that is that benefits from the presence of a major seminary and you have seminary students coming to your church, like I said, try your best uh, to connect with them and, and show an interest in them and try to support them as much as you can. That's what I received when I was in seminary. Yeah, you know, I'm wondering like, just as you encounter seminary students, whether they're serving in Chinese heritage churches or not, or whether they're attending those or planning to attend or serve in them, you know, I, I, I feel like in your work, you know, you are growing the knowledge and the skill sets of many of these um, yeah, seminary students. And then they're maybe ending up in churches where they're putting a lot of those things into practice. And I, I'm just wondering in between those two, like between the seminary and the church world, um, like how do both of those together really um, meet the needs of the heart? Like that was something you mentioned a little while ago, um, you know, meeting the needs of the heart, not just for the church, but I, for these seminary students themselves, you know, are there ways that you find that you're able to speak into that? Okay. The main way is when I come across someone who reminds me of me, who is a product of a Chinese heritage church and um, is in training, theological training. Uh, I know that the, one of the first questions they're asking themselves is, should I stay within the Chinese immigrant church. Once I graduate, should I look for some job in um, such and such Chinese church? Or should I try to kind of uh, test out the waters in a multi-ethnic church, all right? So that's still kind of the burning question. And I tell people there's no one answer that fits everybody. So uh, everybody kind of has to decide for themselves, what are you called to? Uh, I would be perfectly happy staying within a, a Chinese heritage church. Like I said, I have kind of a heart for Chinese people and I have a real strong missional sense for that people group. But there's other guys who just feel like, okay, well, the Bible seems to encourage all nations to, to meet the Lord. And uh, it might be good, especially if you live in a cosmopolitan area like New York City, to think uh, beyond outside the box to reach all ethnic groups and not just narrow yourself to one. Uh, there's so many factors that go into deciding, like maybe you've had a real positive experience in the Chinese Heritage Church, or maybe you've had a negative experience. Both of those will play, will be big factors in what you decide to do. So spoke a lot, but let me, the, the one point is that I, I often have just deep conversations with students in my office about where you're at right now. Like, tell me what your heart says. Tell me um, what, your, what your woundedness says. Uh, do you think, or can you see yourself staying in the Chinese church or do you think it's time to try something different? So I try to, try to make it as non-pressured a conversation as possible. 
There's, I'm not looking for any one answer. I'm not trying to recruit you or anything. I just want to find out where you're at, you know? And so, uh, because I care about you and whatever you tell me, I'll be supportive hundred percent. So in some ways, uh, professors have to be like coaches in some ways, you know, almost like surrogate parents and just say, uh, I'll support you no matter what, uh, but, but you're gonna have to search your soul yourself. I can't decide this for you. No one can decide this for you, uh, but I'll listen to you. I'll be your sounding board. I'll tell you what I went through when I was your age, that type of thing. So I would say that's a lot of the hard stuff that I do specifically with Asian seminary students. What I'm describing to you occurs not just for Chinese students, but all the Korean guys go through the same thing. All the Vietnamese guys go the same thing. All the Hmong guys go through the same thing. Uh, do I stay in the immigrant church? If it's a lousy immigrant church, do I stay to reform it? You know, is that what I'm called to do? Or am I called to get out? Or maybe it's, it'd be dangerous to my soul if I stayed. All those things, factors need to kind of be weighed, right? So I like weighing them as a friend and as a mentor to these students. Uh, so that's, that's kind of one of the first questions that, uh, that emerges in, our, in my conversations with, with Asian seminary students. Yeah, I think on behalf of all those students, I would say, I would say thank you. You know, even just for me listening to that, I think that's such a, a healthy thing to have where a professor is going to ask those questions. And so, you know, I'm sure those guys appreciate it. And I just want to say thank you for doing that. I think that is so important for you just acknowledging and recognizing the uniqueness of the immigrant church and yeah. how guys can, you know, people can get, can get really beaten up in a sure. church, uh, you know, a second gen, you know, um, oh, yeah. and then going into ministry, you know, that is, that is a question that we really do wrestle with. Yeah. Some, sometimes uh, the guys that are in my classes are actually, they're actually functioning like full-time pastors already. Uh, they're often like in charge of some big aspect of the English ministry in their Chinese church. And there's going to be times when they actually get, uh, for lack of a better word, mistreated uh, by the leadership on in the in the Chinese side, and so um, I often will have them sit in my office and tell me what happened, you know, and and uh, you're listening to them, and like I said, you're being almost like a surrogate parent, and um, you're saying stuff like, "Wow, that really stinks," or "That must have really hurt." Uh, I don't think that was your fault, and things like that. And uh, it actually is, I would say, just a necessary part of maintaining your mental health as a Chinese church worker. So uh, you try to make the seminary as much of a healing place as, or a supportive place as possible. So yeah, there is this classroom instruction and there is this academic work for sure, but that's, that's just part of what I have to do. So the college pays me to be somewhat of a resource person or a go-to person to these uh, pastors in training. Yeah, and I love that you do that on a very personal level. I'm wondering, I don't know if NIAC does this, uh, I don't know if very many other seminaries do this, but are there things that seminaries can do maybe at an institutional level, an organizational level 
to kind of address these sorts of needs that you're, that you're talking about. You know, you do it as, you know, as an individual professor for some of these handful of students. You know, are there ways maybe that you think seminaries could do better, especially for some of, you know, the Chinese heritage, um, you know, pastors in training or these ministry leaders who are going to the immigrant church? Like, are there some resources do you, do you feel that the seminary uh, can provide? Uh, I would say the potential is there. Uh, most seminary faculties are not that diversified. So uh, on my Alliance Theological Seminary faculty, I'm really the only Asian guy, okay? So we have Stanley John, who's um, Indian American, but if you were Korean, Hmong, Vietnamese, I'm the only face that you'd, you'd basically identify with. So I would say somehow if they could prioritize, especially if you're in a cosmopolitan area like New York City, if they could prioritize the hiring of Asian faculty, that would be great. The problem is you don't have a lot of Asian guys getting PhDs in theology or in Bible. So I'm a rather rare bird, okay? So uh, even though I'm saying we should be hiring more, there just aren't a lot around. And so, um, so some of it is resourcing. Uh, and I would say if we could recruit and hire more Asian faculty, that would just make it a more inviting environment for let's say the Chinese pastor to be. Uh, so some of that needs to be addressed just with more diversified faculties and diversified hiring. I would say also uh, what NIAC tries to do is they try to be something of a center. So uh, if Chinese churches wanted to get together, uh, they could go to the CCA office, which is the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, Chinese district office, which is in Flushing. They could use that as a gathering place. It's sort of like neutral territory where all the churches can gather and there's a meeting room and there's a coffee shop and it's kind of nice. Uh, so Nyack College aspires to be something like that, all right? So if we ever wanted to get a special speaker to come uh, and address Chinese pastors, uh, we love the idea that Nyack College would host something like that and, that and everybody would come to our auditorium and, uh, you know, we get coffee and things like that and have people interact. But uh, we want to serve the church in that way. So as a, a gathering place, we're kind of centrally located in lower Manhattan. So all the subways can go there. Uh, it's not easy to park, but uh, you can get to our location easily. And we relish the idea of being a central gathering space for ethnic churches. So I'm talking just Chinese just because of this pod podcast, but um, there's plenty of Haitian churches in New York City. We'd love to be a center gathering place for Haitian pastors to talk about issues related to the Haitian immigrant church in New York City. Uh, so we perceive that as part of our mission. So there's the formation of individuals, but then there's also kind of the gathering space for churches to partner. And we like that too. Are there any um, resources that you would recommend for Chinese heritage church leaders um, that, that they can use to really um, grow their people or care for their people or develop leaders, you know, care for their pastors? Uh, that's a good question. 
I am not aware of a lot of resources. That's why I love this podcast because it strikes me as a, a starting dialogue point and a point of connection. So, so shout out to you guys. <laughs> uh, but uh, we need more things like this. And I would say um, just gathering places or gathering points or conference, you guys were talking about conferences. I would say that type of stuff is very important. Uh, I would say uh, in the places of my life, I had a charismatic experience in 1999 and I was very, very hungry to learn about the deeper things of the Holy Spirit. And I never got that in the Chinese church. So I had to go elsewhere looking. And so I had to, on my own, just find my own set of people to teach me. So Wheaton never taught me about the Holy Spirit. Trinity never did. Well, it didn't. It tried in some ways. Westminster certainly did not. I was kind of on my own. So I had to go find the resources myself. It sort of feels that way a little bit with respect to Chinese heritage churches. Okay. So uh, if you were really, really hungry to learn and really, really hungry to be mentored or really, really hungry uh, to find someone older or someone who is more experienced than you, you're kind of hunting. You're kind of looking on your own. Uh, that's, <clears throat> but you know, I found the people that I needed to find uh, when I was on my own. So like I was at a point where I had to rewrite all my lectures. <laughs> Who's gonna help me? Who, where am I gonna get the books or the, the cassette tapes? I just had to find it on my own. So uh, that's not a great answer to your question, but I'm trying to say really smart people ought to be putting their heads together to come up with some good resources. Uh, so um, conferences, uh, gathering places, that type of thing. Yeah, and then, you know, I think just a, a question of curiosity for myself and, and for Jalen, I'm sure, because you mentioned this, um, a while back, um, just that, you know, the Chinese church faces different issues or has things that we have to, to work through a, as a church. And, and I'm curious, are there particular issues or particular areas of research maybe that you have encountered, uh, maybe in some of the dissertation work that your students might be doing, um, that you think is just really relevant for Chinese heritage churches to be aware of or to be paying attention to. These are some of the things that we, we need to kind of keep an eye on. I had a student named Ezra Sohn who Korean American, really bright kid. Uh, and he just noticed um, that in New York City, this is no secret if you're kind of a church guy in New York City, that if you went to Tim Keller's church, Redeemer Presbyterian in Midtown Manhattan, you'd be kind of uh, astonished that half the congregation are these Asian people, Chinese and Korean people, especially make up about half that congregation. It's a huge congregation, about 5,000 people altogether. And the question is, where are all these Asian people coming from? And the answer is they are defectors from Chinese heritage churches or Korean heritage churches. They are people who left the traditional immigrant church to go to hear Tim Keller. And so Ezra was very curious about that. And so he would survey a number of them who went there and his own uh, kind of analysis to try to determine, are they coming because of all the positives at Redeemer? Or are they coming because of all the negatives that they had at their home church? 
And he concluded that the negative factors were heavier in their considerations than the positive factors at Redeemer. There are a lot of positive things at Redeemer, but those were not the drawing, that, those were not the major drawing things. It was just as much about perceived incompetence or perceived um, lack of excellence in their ethnic churches uh, that, that drove these uh, people to leave their, their original home churches, their original ethnic Chinese Korean churches to go to something like Redeemer. Okay, now that's, uh, that's just one guy's investigation and that's his conclusion. It wasn't like a, a thorough scientific study. His sample size probably wasn't even that large, but it's an interesting question to pose. And I thought uh, it was an interesting question that many people ask. Okay, so what's this an indicator of? And so his conclusion is there's a lot of work to be done. And there's, there's a lot of reason to believe that the attrition problem is something that is addressable or fixable. Hmm. Okay, so he was trying to put his finger on a problem and it doesn't offer much of a solution. His study didn't offer much of a solution, but dissertations don't have to necessarily offer solutions all the time. They can actually clarify or bring into greater focus a problem. So his dissertation actually did that in a way that I thought was helpful. Yeah, Frank, I think that you've, you've touched on some really helpful and insightful things for us. The way that we, we like to always wrap up our podcast is by asking, uh, what is one piece of advice or encouragement you would give to someone currently serving in the Chinese Heritage Church? Okay, I would say uh, there's always reason to be optimistic. <clears throat> like I've been in three different Chinese churches and I've had lots of dark moments in all three. Uh, it's very easy, you know, just to have any one particular event go badly and just to think, okay, it's time to quit or it's time to think about something else or it's time to get out of the ball game. And then just as when you think things can get worse, something will happen that'll, that'll pick things up. Like you'll just get a new family that comes into the church or somehow you'll have an event that really worked uh, the next weekend. So I've always been a firm believer that if you kind of stick things out, the Lord will be faithful. And uh, there's no rational reason for thinking that things will turn around sometimes. Matter of fact, if you tried to reason out the logic, you'd say it doesn't look like there's, there's any good logical reason why things will change. And that, that might be the case, and that's why you're discouraged. But the Lord consistently in my life has always brought a, a good event or a good new person to kind of make me feel like he's still there. And there is much to be said for someone like a Lee Hearn, who stayed in a Chinatown church. He was not an urban guy at all for 35 years. Okay, so uh, I've gotten to know him and much of the optimism that I have in the faithfulness of God comes from him. So he stuck things out for 35 years. And in some ways, I kind of tell myself, well, if he stuck it out for 35 years, maybe I can stay, stay for another week. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like that. So I have the benefit of uh, his example. And in some ways, 
you know, I kind of um, aspire to be like him. And uh, so he represents in my mind, kind of the ultimate faithful man. And I kind of want to be that. So, so I'm, I don't know if my words mean anything to whoever's listening, but I'm trying to say, no matter how bad it seems, the Lord is still faithful. Hmm. Okay, so just hang on and something will happen. He'll bring something that will happen that'll make things seem better. Yeah, that's a good word, Frank. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and that encouragement um, and also for coming on the podcast with us and, and sharing with us from your, you know, your field of work. And uh, it's just such an important thing you're doing in training, um, you know, another generation of kingdom workers, not just for the Chinese Heritage Church, but, but for the full family of God. And so we're really grateful for that and for you coming on the podcast with us. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. I hope I do make some connections with someone else who might be listening. And uh, I'd love to be back if you ever invite me back. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Thanks, Frank. Thanks a lot, guys.